Welcome to the Birth Warrior Podcast. In each episode, we feature the stories of birth warriors, women who have persevered to find their own truth in pregnancy and birth. As you hear these women share their stories of love, autonomy, connection, and power, it is our deepest wish that you will be inspired, empowered, and supported to find your own truth. We are honored these women have stepped forward to share their personal stories and to help us remember that we all have the power to choose what is right for us. The Birth Warrior Podcast is a presentation of the Indie Birth Association and is not intended to be medical advice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Birth Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Jaden Graham, and on today's episode, we have Amanda. Amanda Alipat is a home birth mother of two, a preconception to postpartum coach, birth doula, and facilitator of women's circles, retreats, and programs. Though she experienced two very different births, she's come to learn that how you birth truly does matter and that each experience is an opportunity to step into and own our fullest power and potential. Amanda is passionate about helping women take radical responsibility around their choices and become the experts and authority over their experiences. And I hope you all enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wherever you would like to begin your story, please share. Okay, so my name is Amanda Alipat, and I am a mother of two children. I have a daughter who's almost five and a boy who's 18 months tomorrow. And I had two home births with them, and they were radically different experiences. But before I dive into my first birth, the story goes way back, actually, to when I was a child. And my mom has a sister, so I have an aunt, and she was a nurse. And in her home, she had a book on birth. And it was like a very graphic book. And I remember taking the book and pouring over the images and watching how babies emerge. And I was completely fascinated. Mm -hmm. And so when she became pregnant with her third child and I was 15, she said, Hey, do you want to come to my birth? And I thought, wow, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Of course I want to come to your birth and being a 15 year old teenager, uh, It was good form of birth control because I was like, wow, I am not ready for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had an epidural birth. And I mean, now I'm going to be 40. So we're talking, you know, 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. I I knew nothing about birth. She had an epidural. It was in a hospital. It was fine. It was New Year's Eve. And it really left a very strong imprint on me. So fast forward, I became a personal trainer. And then I was really interested in working with pregnant women. So I got Uh, certified in pre and postnatal fitness. And then I became a yoga teacher and same, I got uh, certified in pre and postnatal yoga. And I was on a yoga retreat in Costa Rica. Uh, My good friend was there. She was pregnant. And one morning at breakfast, her and her husband, we were, we were eating and chatting together. And they said, Hey, we would love for you to be our doula. And I was like, wow, I'm not a doula though. And they just said, you know, to us, you are, we would love for you to be there with us. Mm. And that sort of opened up the world of, of birth to me. So though they didn't need me to become certified or requested, I kind of felt like I wanted to, and I found a training. I did it. I completed it and I attended their birth and 
that was before I, I had my own children. And in the process of being a doula and witnessing and, and supporting births at home, in hospitals, uh, in all kinds of situations and variations, it became very clear to me that I wanted to have my babies at home. Hmm. And so I started planting seeds uh, in my husband's mind that this is how it was going to be and that I would really like his support, but that I was doing it regardless. So mm -hmm. he was on board and we consciously conceived, we prepared for 18 months before getting pregnant. And so that looked up, that looked like uh, cleaning up our diets, financially preparing, setting aside money. Cause I was self-employed, uh, literally making space in our home, shedding, clearing out closets, swapping out, you know, toxic beauty products, working on our marriage, our connection. And so I was thrilled to become pregnant and I loved being pregnant so much. Uh, and even though I, I had been a birth worker, I still like dive deep into all kinds of courses and classes, you know, taking care of your newborn. I did a breastfeeding class, um, childbirth ed. I read all the books. I did everything, you know, quote unquote, you're supposed to do and felt so prepared. And I had an incredible team of midwives. There were two of them. And so having prenatal care in my home was so special. I didn't have to go anywhere. And so much of our prenatal appointments was just building rapport and talking and chatting and them checking in. How are you doing emotionally, physically? What's going on? How, how's your relationship going? So I just adored that and felt really seen and really safe. And in my doula training years prior, I had met a, another woman and I knew instinctively she would be my doula. So I enlisted the help of her and I even did hypno babies training. Um, so I was like ready. I felt fantastic and, and clear and grounded. I had made a birth board with affirmations and yeah, I just felt, felt like I was going to have this home birth. And so on my due date, which I don't really believe due dates, but on the day that, uh, you know, was, was set to be my due date, I started to get some cramps. And I, I remember texting my sister-in-law <laughs> and saying like, oh, is this what labor feels like? And she chuckled and said, oh, just wait. Um, and I remember it was like six o'clock. We had a beautiful day. We walked around the Central Park Reservoir and it was like a beautiful blue sky. My husband is a kid's art teacher. He had just wrapped up his class. And I was like, oh, I think, I think maybe. And I continued to have sensations regularly and I was managing them totally fine. So I said to my husband, you know, why don't you rest? I think, I think I'm okay. And I remember uh, having an app on my phone that like you like basically monitor how, how your contractions are. And I kept getting the alert, like now it's time to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Even though that wasn't our plan. I was just like, wow, they're, you know, they're starting to pick up a little bit. So mm -hmm. I was content. I was on the birth ball. I was in the shower. I was moving around and the next day still having contractions. Um, one of the midwives came over. And at this point I was 24 hours, you know, having these, these feelings and I consented to be checked and I was one centimeter. And that was quite, um, an emotional blow because 
knowing birth one centimeter is like nothing, you know, like, Mm. you know, you have lifetimes ahead of you. So it was really disheartening. And I remember specifically it was a Thursday and she goes, well, you'll probably have your baby by Monday. And I just collapsed because, you know, Mm. 24 hours of, you know, has sensations. Uh, I was really thrown off and in my birth experience, the longest birth I had ever attended was like 37 hours. So to me, in my mind, that was like the longest, right? Mm -hmm. I never have all the situations I thought could happen. I never thought of going past, let's say 40 hours, right? I had thought about like, what happens if I needed a C-section or what happens if I wanted to transfer? Or I thought about all these possibilities, except a very, very, very long labor. So my husband and I decided to shake things up. We leave our apartment. We walked to a little Indian restaurant. And it's so funny because I was like mid bite and I would have a, a sensation and I would like put my head on the table or like, you know, and the waiters were staring at me. I don't think they realized what was happening, but they thought probably something was going on. Uh, anyway, we come back home still, you know, having these, these sensations and it just started to get really intense. And so I had reached out to a family friend. She was also a midwife. She gave me some support. My sister-in-law who had four children, she was offering words of support. You know, I was checking in with the midwives, checking in with the doula. And it was really, unfortunately, or fortunately, there's nothing to be done. You know, nothing was wrong. Baby's heart tones were good. And I just like kept checking in with myself and I'm like, I'm actually fine. This just sucks. Mm -hmm. And this is not what I expected. And and I feel really um, thrown off. Mm -hmm. So the midwife comes back now again after like 48 hours and I consent to be checked and I'm three centimeters. And I start to spiral a little bit because again, three centimeters, you're like barely on the board, you know, you're Mm -hmm. not considered active labor. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't figure out why this was such a slow process. And, you know, I was eating and drinking and and doing my best to, to stay, you know, connected and fueled, but another big, like emotional setback. And I remember that day was really rainy and just like, just like a really yucky gray day. And I'm like, I don't think this is the day my baby's going to be born. So my midwife has suggested that I get an acupuncture session to, to kind of kick things into active labor. And also, I don't remember if it was some kind of tincture or herbs. So my husband leaves me, uh, which I was okay with when the acupuncture lady came to my house and he went on a wild goose chase in the rain to look for I want to say it was blue or black cohosh. I'm not exactly sure. My, my memory's a little foggy. I didn't even end up taking it. But anyway, <laughs> he left. This very gentle, wise woman comes and she has me sit um, on a chair with my back turned. So like straddling the chair. And I was nervous because like, you know, when you have a sensation or a contraction, or at least for me, it's hard to sit still. But she did amazing hands-on comfort techniques. She was very, um, soft-spoken, very tender, very gentle. 
and put needles in my back, some in my hands, some in my feet. And I think it just also gave me a break um, to just be held for a moment, to just um, look to, to someone to help me get through and push through. And that was wonderful. And then my, you know, my husband came back and we were managing and managing and managing. And from a recommendation from this family midwife, she had said, I think you should take some Benadryl and try to get some sleep because you have a road ahead of you, right? Knowing that you're only three, maybe four centimeters. Now you haven't slept in two days. You might, you might want to do this or have a glass of wine. And, you know, my pregnancy was so clean, right? I did all of the things I stayed away from. I, I never even took like a Tylenol. And I really wrestled with that, seeing that I wanted and needed sleep, but also I didn't want to do anything harmful or disruptive. So I did end up taking the Benadryl and I slept for four hours and I woke up on a Saturday morning and it was like next level. It was full on like, okay, this is, this is happening. And this is happening today. Mm -hmm. So we called the doula, we called the midwife and I just remember it was so intense. We had a birth pool. Um, so I went in and out of the birth pool and I would periodically get, get checked being asked for consent, of course. And I was slowly progressing, slowly progressing. And Finally, you know, uh, towards the, the afternoon, I was in the tub and I felt this pop and my water had broken. Um, and so that gave me a little bit of motivation, right? Like, you know, okay, this is, this is coming, this is happening and a little boost. And I had reached 10 centimeters. And while I didn't feel an overwhelming sense to push, I started pushing because I needed something new. I needed to do something different, right? I was managing now for 65 hours, 66 hours. And I actually felt like I couldn't push in the tub. So I tried pushing outside the tub. And ultimately I decided to lay in my bed because I was so exhausted. And uh, my husband was next to me and I pushed and I pushed and I pushed and I pushed for a total of three and a half hours. Uh, so even at that point, I didn't get a break. Um, <laughs> and in hindsight, I probably started the pushing a little bit early. Um, however, my baby was high and she needed to drop. I don't know if it had something to do with me laying on my back, but I was also, you know, like I said, so exhausted, I couldn't really sit up. Um, and I should also mention like through the whole birth, my husband was super supportive. My doula was, you know, double hip squeeze, hot water packs on my back, um, open throat moaning, making sounds. I remember at one point we have like a, a squatty potty and my doula had me put one foot on the, the step and one foot off and do these like lunging moves to kind of help baby descend and open the pelvis, uh, I do recall at one moment asking my midwife how many more pushes like she knows. Mm. Uh, and she told me 11 and I said, okay, I could do 11 pushes. I don't really know 
if it was more or less than that, but I was a personal trainer for a number of years and things were always counted, right? Reps were counted, sets were counted. So in my mm -hmm. mind, it's like, okay, 11 more, I, mm -hmm. I got this. Uh, and then 70 hours in, my daughter was born at home, um, immediately placed on me. And it was a moment that I felt my full power. Mm. I felt incredibly victorious and relieved and so happy, such in a state of bliss. We delayed uh, cutting the cord and yeah, it was just this moment of skin to skin bonding and heaven really. And I was just like, wow, I did it. I did it. I, I did what I set out to do. And even though it was not what I anticipated, planned for, thought was going to happen, uh, it was double the length that I thought um, she's here. She's perfect. And we're safe. Uh, and so my mom and sister-in-law came, the midwife and the doula cleaned up. Uh, my doula made me a smoothie with a piece of the placenta. Um, a neighbor dropped off dinner and it was just so lovely. It was just so sweet. I felt totally supported and really respected. My husband was, you know, in awe and just so thankful. Um, and yeah, by eight o'clock they had left and it was me, my husband and my baby in the bed that she was conceived in the bed that she was born. Just perfect. Mm. Um, that sounds perfect. That sounds absolutely wonderful and heavenly and blissful. It was. <laughs> and like I said, you know, I really just, after the hours and hours and hours that passed, I just really kept checking in, like, do I want to go to the hospital? Do I feel like anything's wrong? And, you know, they checked my, my blood pressure. The midwife checked my blood pressure. It was totally fine. Fetal heart tones, totally fine. Like, and when I checked in and when I kept tuning into my intuition, it was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. And I think it really speaks to this idea that birth is on a timetable that, uh, we, we start to pathologize it when it's long, you know, failure to progress, inadequate cervix, da, 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 when really none of, none of that for me was true. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, looking at my daughter now, who's almost five, she has her own rhythm. She takes her time. She doesn't like to be rushed. She doesn't like to be forced. She's, she's slow to warm up. And so I think it's really fascinating that her birth reflected that. Mm. And uh, I, I had no tearing. I felt fantastic. Um, she did not nurse right away. And in fact, she didn't nurse until 13 hours after the birth. And so I was also really thankful I was home because I feel like I would have gotten very stressed out uh, in a hospital setting. I would have been pressured and the midwife just said, keep trying. You know, you had a long birth. She's probably tired. She's not fussy. She was peeing and pooping. And it was three o'clock in the morning. And the, the midwife had suggested that I hand express some colostrum on a spoon and give her the spoon to see if that kind of 
wakes her up a bit. And it did. And then she mm. latched and I nursed her for three years. Beautiful. And um, yeah, I had a, I had a great postpartum recovery. Uh, I remember like being on adrenaline and, and the enthusiastic high of it all for like three weeks. Um, and then it sort of like hit me like, well, I'm tired and this is a lot, but, <laughs> but yeah, I have nothing but just incredible memories from that time. And it, this was before COVID. So we had people, friends, family, cousins, um, neighbors visit, bring food, bring gifts, um, just like so joyful. Um, so yeah, so that's my first birth, 70 hours long story. Mm. And yeah, do you have any questions or anything you want to say before I? Oh, no, I just again, that sounds like a, an absolutely beautiful and amazing birth. And I'm I'm just over here being really um, happy for you that you that you got that. And, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and, and, and it's 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 I will just say it is really interesting just how you saw the reflection of who she is now as a child and how that was reflected in her birth. That's such a really a really amazing thing. Um, yeah, that's all, that's all I had to well, say. I do try to keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like when, you know, we're trying to get out the house and she's, she hasn't peed or brushed teeth yet, or, you know, I've yeah. asked her several times to put on her shoes, but she will not budge. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's, it's just so, it's so intriguing. I mean, it could be a total coincidence, right. But I, I think, um, children are born the way that they need to be born mm -hmm. and the way that, especially when left undisturbed, right. And not, um, interfered with. Yeah. And I will say this too. And I think this is a crucial point because of that birth. I went into motherhood, very confident, mm. very connected, very clear. Like if I was able to do that and withstand that, like I got this. I got yeah. this. And it just put me really um, so deeply connected to her and like instantly fell in love and instantly bonded. And, and to this day, I mean, like, I feel like our nervous systems are, are still largely synced up. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's amazing. So it was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Aww. That's beautiful, Amanda. And so, okay. So fast forward, um, my daughter is two and a half and my husband and I are feeling like, okay, we're ready to start planning and preparing for, for another child. And we also didn't know gender of the first and my husband swore it was a boy. And, uh, I, I should also mention she was born on April fools. Um, and now came our girl and interestingly enough, during that first pregnancy, I said, I know you think it's a boy, but wouldn't it be something if we had a girl born on April fools and sure enough, that's what happened. <laughs> so anyway, we wanted the boy. Uh, and well, my husband really wanted the boy and mm -hmm. we, we, this time we only took three months to prepare because a lot of what we had already done, we kept right. Like we didn't start using toxic products or we didn't disconnect our water filter. Right. But we mm -hmm. still wanted to create a practice and a ritual around calling in our baby. And, um, on the night he was conceived, I actually did a Yoni steam and 
my father had passed away and I, I prayed to my dad and I said, send me, send me my son. I actually said, send me my blue eyed boy. <laughs> my boy doesn't have blue eyes, but, um, and so there was, you know, a, a, a intention and a, um, reverence around getting pregnant and, um, we conceived and I was thrilled because again, I love being pregnant and mm-hmm. this time, this was right before COVID. Um, I had went on a women's retreat and I was kind of rounding out my first trimester. And I had met several women that free birthed their baby. And I was intrigued by that possibility. And even though I had contacted the midwife that was at my first birth, um, and I had basically said, yes, I'm hiring you for the second, there was this sort of window of, do I actually want a free birth? Mm-hmm. And so right after I got back from this retreat, which was life-changing and I, we sat in so many women's circles and I, I experienced a village prenatal for the first time, which is a women's circle that really honors and celebrates the pregnant women of, of the community, mm-hmm. um, where you get to speak your dream birth, you get to share your fears, you, you just get to be really celebrated. So I came back feeling like, I think I'm going to lean into this more and choose to at least have more of a wild pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So with my first pregnancy, I did a 20 week anatomy scan. I did the gestational diabetes test and I did the group B strep. So compared to a lot of other women, like that was not much, but second time around, it kind of felt like, well, that's still a lot. And I still want to lean into the magic and the mystery of this. I want to lean into my intuition. And then COVID happened. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like, great, because I don't want to leave my house. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this was like, you know, March, 2020, when no one knew what was happening. And, you know, Mm -hmm. everything was so uncertain and scary. And I thought, Mm -hmm. I'm really glad I made this decision before. And so we, we live in New York City, but at that time we had relocated to our our home in Pennsylvania. And I was totally fine just moving through my pregnancy, eating nourishing foods, being in the fresh air. It actually served me really well, like getting out of New York city, getting out of the toxicity, uh, not taking the subway Mm -hmm. after, you know, the initial fear of what is COVID and what's happening kind of settled. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had spoken to my midwife because we started doing virtual appointments, um, that I was entertaining this idea of a free birth. And I'll never forget because I was like, how is she going to receive this? Is she going to be offended? What if she's like, well, I'm out of here. She said, isn't it amazing that you've been a doula for so long and you didn't even know that this was an option? Like, and, and yeah, it's completely an option. Mm -hmm. And she said, I totally trust you. I've seen you birth. I know you can do this. And you could decide if and when you want me there. So she said, for example, I could wait in my car. We could FaceTime at your birth. I could come after. You you get to decide. And I was so relieved and just so thankful that this woman had no doubt in her mind that if I wanted to free birth my baby, I could do it. 
Um, so I continued to, you know, have some prenatal appointments and we had moved back to the city when I was 36 weeks pregnant. So she did come over to listen to the fetal heart tones, palpated my belly. Um, yeah, we just connected and we just had so much rapport and, and I just like had so much love for her. Um, and in that, that, uh, from 36 to 40 weeks, I had to work through a lot coming back to the city, reintegrating back into our home here. Mm. I had a tremendous amount of fears around disrupting the bond with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we wanted another child, even though we called him in, even though I was thrilled to be pregnant, I was terrified of how she would receive a sibling. And so I did a, a session with a, a dear friend of mine, a woman who just sort of helped me like process and unpack it and look at it and not try to change anything, just, you know, move through some of the fears because I know fears could show up in birth. Um, and I also, I have a spiritual mentor. I had a session with him to just kind of prepare. And he assured me that, you know, this baby was guided and my ancestors and spirit guides were with this child. And he did say something, which I got really upset with in the moment. He said, your baby may have difficulty adjusting. Your baby may have difficulty breathing after he's, after he said it was a, he, after he's born, double check the lungs, double make, double check every, just make sure he's okay. And I was, after I hung up with him, I'm like, how dare he? Like, doesn't he know he should never say that to a pregnant woman? Like what? Like I was furious. And I was like, Mm -hmm. no, I am not taking that on. I do not believe that's true. I'm so mad at him. And this was a guy that I like really trusted, really connected with that I know has my back and best intentions and that receives his own divine downloads. Right. But I just like put up a wall and I said, "Mm -mm, I'm not, I'm not, no, just no. But then, you know, I came to 38 weeks, 39 weeks, 40 weeks, 40 and a half, 41 and no baby. And again, back to my first birth, I went into labor technically on my due date. So I had never experienced the waiting, the waiting. And every day Mm -hmm. people would text me and call me, did you have your baby yet? And I had all these dates in mind, like, okay, maybe it's going to be August 15th because that's my cousin's birthday. And how special it would be if he was born on my cousin's birthday. Okay. My dad's birthday is in August. Maybe it's going to be my dad's birthday. How special if my blue eyed boy was born on my dad's birthday. These days kept passing, kept passing nothing. And I had some, you know, tightening of my belly, but nothing, nothing. And I was getting really overwhelmed. I was getting really anxious. I knew that there was nothing wrong, but I just, again, like I was completely blindsided because we talked through all these possibilities of what would the birth be like? And nowhere ever in my mind, did I think I would have my baby at 42 weeks. So Uh, The midwife did want me to go for a non-stress test sonogram. And she said, I, I have, you know, I have no problem going past 42 weeks, but I would love for you slash, I kind of need you to do this test. And now at this point I had no sonograms. I had no no interference. I engaged with the medical world, 0%. And it was a full body. No, for me. Mm-hmm. Yet I didn't want to lose the option of having her 
at my birth. And I was supposed to go on a Monday. I called her on Sunday and I said, listen, I really don't want to do this. Could I have a couple more days? And I was like 41 plus five. I said, could you possibly be open to the idea of me going at 42 weeks or 42 plus one? And she said, well, what's, what's going to change? You're probably not going to want to go then. And I said, you're right, but I'm willing to, to honor my word because I just have this sense. My baby's going to come before them. So she agreed and she came over the next day and I actually consented to getting my membrane swept because I did want to move things along. I kind of felt like things were starting the day before I had a lot of, I don't even know if you would call them Braxton Hicks at that point, but I had a lot of minor sensations and uh, I just felt like this baby was coming. It was also like dead summer and like 90 degrees. And I was like, I am so done. I went to acupuncture a bunch. Um, and yeah, I was talking to the baby, baby, we're, we're ready. We're here for you. Come on. Like I've worked through the fears. Let's do this. And so, and it was so disheartening to wake up every day and still be pregnant and then live the whole day and still be pregnant. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just like camped out at my, my home. Cause you know, my daughter was three and a half at the time and it it was still COVID. So a lot of things were still closed and there was nowhere to go. There was nothing to do. And yeah, it was really overwhelming. But then I woke up, uh, I was 41 plus six. I had made breakfast and then by around 11 o'clock, my labor came on so fast and so furious. I could not believe it. I mean, I went from like zero to a hundred within an hour. Mm. And I remember being really um, taken back by the intensity because remember with my daughter, it was sort of this like slow buildup, like mm -hmm. 50 hours of, of contractions and then, you know, 55 hours of contractions. And then it sort of got into that really intense. This was like, it was intense because it was so, so far past my due date, my arbitrary date right? That was like the slow build, but the sensation, whoa, whoa. So my husband's like, I think I'm going to call the midwife. And I just was like, okay. You know, like I was so, um, in it so quickly. And because my frame of reference was my first birth, I thought the midwife would come and leave. Right. Cause that's what she had done my first birth because it, you know, it was taking so long. I should also mention that I had decided not to have a doula this time around. Cause I was still toying with the idea of a free birth, mm -hmm. but my, my three-year-old was home and I was totally open to the idea of having her be involved to the degree that she wanted. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, because I was doubled over in so much um, discomfort, she like stayed far away from me. She stayed in our basement. It was a day where she watched so much TV, <laughs> um, <laughs> but the midwife came and, and um, checked me. And I was like, well into the six, seven centimeters. And I was so surprised because I was like, wait, what really? Um, and she said to me, do you want me to leave? I know that you are thinking about a free birth. And I said, no, you know, I don't think so. But she ended up sitting in my living room and I ended up staying in my bedroom. And so I was alone for most of it. And that's exactly what I wanted. And that's when I was at the retreat, 
in that village prenatal, that's the vision I had. I was alone in my room and I just felt what I wanted to feel, which was that I was the authority, that I was the expert, that I was in charge, that I was in tune with this baby and I was moving into positions, not because I was being told to or not because um, someone was suggesting it. It's just because what my body was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, at a certain point, you know, my husband was running up and down between tending to me and then going to my daughter, tending to me, going to my daughter. And I remember continuously asking him, is she okay? Did she pee? Does she need to eat? It's like, what's going on? Like, I couldn't fully step into the birth portal because I was worried about her. So, and my husband I saw was like, you know, split because he knew that I wanted to make sure she was okay, but he wanted to stay with me as well. So at a certain point we called my mom and my mom and my daughter have a really lovely relationship. And my mom knows our routine and our home and what she eats and how it all goes down. So she came over and I remember when she got to the door, I ran over to her sobbing saying, this is so hard. This is so hard because it was way more painful than my first birth. And then my mom had this like look of terror on her face because here I am saying it's so hard. It's so hard. And I, I looked her in the eye and said, mom, I'm okay. This is just really hard. And so she went downstairs with my daughter and I went back into my room and I kind of felt like relieved that my daughter was being taken care of. Mm -hmm. Um, then at a certain point, I just felt really called to take a shower so I took a really hot shower alone. I didn't even turn the lights on. It was dark. And I stepped out of the shower and there was this like overwhelming sense of, of exhaustion, of fatigue. And I laid in bed and like, I, I largely fell asleep, but I remember like still having contractions and I would sort of like hold them in. I would try to like not give myself over to them because I was like, kind of sleeping. Um, and then it just got impossible. I, I don't really remember how long, maybe that was like 40 ish minutes. And then I had this pop of my water, very similar to the first time, except the first time I was in water, this time I wasn't and my water broke. And then all of a sudden I thought it could not get any more intense. It did. Mm -hmm. And I was on the knees. I was putting one leg forward. And my first birth, I was pretty quiet. Now it was me, my husband, my doula, the midwife and the midwife assistant in a 500 square foot studio. So there was really not a lot of privacy. Whereas we had since moved into a two bedroom, two floor duplex, we quadrupled our space. And so I was letting it rip. I also don't think I could have managed any other way. I was like, I don't want to say screaming, but I was like howling uh, mm -hmm. because it was so, so brutal. Um, and, the, you know, the midwife would occasionally pop in, offer some reassurance, some support. Um, for this birth, I also had, I had made a new birth board. I, I was, you know, looking at the affirmations and I had reached 10 centimeters and my midwife, I, I, for like a second, I tried to push on my back and it was like 
next, next, next level pain. I'm like, there's no fucking way. There's no fucking way I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. So my, the midwife very gently said, do you want to try the birth stool? And I was like, okay, you know, at that point, you know, what, what am I going to do? Sure. I'll try anything. So I, I sat on the birth stool and I ended up getting this crazy Charlie horse that was so painful that I later realized was the fracturing of my tailbone, put my leg into spasm. So I like, I remember like throwing myself on the bed and just like gripping my butt in agony. Like, what is this? What is happening? But gathered myself, got back on the stool and kind of like, I sent you the picture actually. So I kind of like butterflied my legs and I, it's so crazy because I never felt fear in my first birth, but in this birth, I had this like lightning bolt of terror down my body when I realized there was no turning back, mm-hmm. that the only way was to birth this baby that I, like, I just, I was standing at the, at the portal and I had to like walk through and it was terrifying. I think because it was so painful and I was sitting on the stool and I remember saying, it's burning, it's burning, it's burning, right? Ring of fire. And I should also mention my stomach was enormous. I I even thought like, could I be having twins? Um, But anyway, uh, I pushed out his head and the midwife said, you could reach down and touch your baby. And so I did, I felt, I didn't know it was a boy, but I felt his head and I said, hi, baby, hi, baby. And we waited, it was about a minute and a half that passed before the next sensation. And I just, I'm sorry to curse, but I just fucking roared this baby Mm -hmm. out of me. Mm -hmm. Uh, The midwife was there. I reached down and with her help lifted him up and out. And my first thought was he is enormous. And again, I didn't know he was a boy at that point. My my husband said he, he, um, glimpsed that he like found, but he wanted me to have that moment, which I appreciated. And I, I just like held this big slippery white reddish baby looked down, saw that it was a boy. And I just was like, it's a boy. It's a boy. Incredibly relieved. Um, cause I said to my husband, I am never doing that again. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're definitely going to have a third kid, maybe a fourth kid. But <laughs> in that moment, I was like, I'm so glad this was a boy because I'm never doing this again. Um, same kind of thing. Just like in that moment being like, wow, wow. I did this. I did it despite COVID, despite no prenatal testing, despite really having to trust myself, leaning into my intuition, being two weeks post what I thought was going to happen, you know, being totally blindsided by the pain. He's here. My boy is here. My, my prayer was answered Mm -hmm. and, um, laid down, you know, we didn't cut the cord for a while. We actually burned the cord this time. This time I asked permission of my baby to do it, to sever the connection. Um, really respecting uh, that we were, that, you know, that we were breaking that really physical, really tangible connection. 
he nursed right away. He was nice and pink. Mm-hmm. Um, upon his coming out, my daughter was in the bath, which was the bathrooms right next to our bedroom. So she could hear everything. Uh, and then, you know, my, having my mom and my daughter be right there to come in and see the baby and uh, another placenta smoothie. Uh, I, I asked my mom to make me scrambled eggs, toast and butter, which I like devoured because I was so hungry. And yeah, we were, we were settling in and it was really awesome until it wasn't. And, um, after a while I began to notice that my son's name is Amadeus. Amadeus started making these like grunting sounds like, uh. Uh. And finally, I looked up at the midwife and I said, is he okay? And she said, you know, I don't like that he's making this sound. She checked his respiration rate. Now, a couple of things. She weighed him. He was over nine pounds. Mm-hmm. My first child was a little over seven pounds. So he was two pounds bigger than my, my first baby. Mm-hmm. There was also a little bit of meconium in the waters that were released. I had opted out of the groupie strep. So she wasn't sure if maybe it was positive and yeah, he just kept making the sound. Now we weren't overly concerned because he had nursed. He was nursing. He had great color. He was nice and pink. There was no nostril flaring. There was no retraction of the ribs, but there was this sound like he wasn't settling. And so I really appreciate that my midwife was just like, you know what, I'm just going to stay longer and observe and let's just see, right? Because hospitals don't always welcome home birth transfers. It was also still the peak of COVID. It was midnight. The last thing I wanted to do was leave my home, separate from my daughter, um, just, you know, subject myself to what testing protocol questions. And in my heart of hearts, I knew he was okay. I just like, same way I checked in with my first birth. I just like kept checking in like, is he okay? And I just kept getting this. Yes, he's okay. So the midwife called a colleague who works at a nearby hospital as a midwife. And she said, can you just listen to this baby and, and give us your opinion? And so she listened to my son and she said, it sounds like this baby just needs more time. I would not come in. And I felt tremendous relief that um, her feeling echoed my own feeling. But nevertheless, my nervous system got hijacked. I felt completely terrified. And I basically to this day have not slept peacefully since. Yeah. So after three days, he, he settled, but he was really fussy, particularly at night. And so I was constantly sort of re-traumatized because I, I did feel like, is there something wrong? So I saw some lactation consultants. I took him for baby acupuncture. And ultimately what really helped his system settle besides just time and patience uh, was some cranial sacral work. And that seemed to really help us get a turning point around six weeks. Uh, But that being said, my postpartum experience the second time around was less than ideal. And I kind of want to do over and I have, um, I don't want to call it regret, but 
in a way I should have known better to plan ahead. So part of the reason was that it was still very much the peak of COVID. So there was no visitors, no one was coming by. Um, My husband and I were alone a lot. I felt really overwhelmed uh, by trying to still tend to my daughter and show up for her, then dealing with this fussy baby. And then I was in extremely um, intense pelvic pain only to come to find out that I had a a bit of a fractured tailbone, which really validates what I was feeling like, oh yeah, this kid basically broke me open. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, by 10 days postpartum, I was on my hands and knees scrubbing my kitchen floor and cooking all the food. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a real lesson that um, I needed a lot more support and I needed a lot more care and rest. So now my baby's 18 months and we, it's so interesting that we're doing this podcast now because he still doesn't sleep through the night. And I know that babies are not necessarily meant to sleep through the night, but he still wakes every three hours and he still makes that sound. And what I'm in the process of doing right now is working on my own nervous system because I feel like that post birth experience basically hijacked my nervous system and has caused uh, like a trauma response. And even though intellectually, I know that he's fine, he's thriving, he's so smart, he's so perfect. There's still some part of me that is like, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? Let me check if you're okay. And so Mm -hmm. I I think that his constant waking at night actually stems way back to the birth experience. And so I'm doing steps to, to really heal from that and to look at that not only for the sake of my sanity so I could sleep and Mm -hmm. and for him to to make sure that um, he's not imprinted with that, but also because we do want another baby. And um, I want to be in a really grounded, clear and healed state before calling in the next one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm curious, um, as far as that noise was, I mean, I'm sure that you have, you know, taken him in to see, to see experts, um, and certain physicians. Is there anything, um, that they have found like why that, why he makes that noise? Yeah. So sorry that I didn't say that. So we obviously reached out to the pediatrician and brought him in or whatever. And he said, it's something called transient tachypnea. Another thing that in all my years of birth work, I had never seen, heard nothing. It was in no book I had ever read. So I'm just like, okay, I guess my births are meant to be blindsided by stuff I just don't know about. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically what it is, is a physiologic condition. I don't even like to use the word condition. It's just basically a physiologic experience that sometimes babies need a little time to adjust. Mm. And it's not a pathology. And that how I could really know he was okay is because he nursed right away. And if there was really an issue with his breathing, if it was really something dangerous, he would not have been able to nurse. Mm -hmm. So yes, that helped me, Mm -hmm. right? I wish I had known that in the moment, not a week later, you know, Um, but I think, you know, we're all meant to to go through these experiences and these journeys. And, you know, it, it, it circles back to, to that spiritual mentor I had that said, your baby's going to be fine, but may have a hard time. And you just want to keep an eye out for, for breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, did I, you know, I've, I've played with this. Did I create that? Right. Did I make that happen? Because that was a thought. I really don't believe that. I really don't think that because I really repelled it when Mm -hmm. he told me that I really held a strong energetic boundary. Um, and I had written out my birth story and the spiritual mentor actually called me a year later and said, I am so sorry that I did that. I did not mean to put you in a fear state. And I said, Oh, I'm not mad at you. Not, you know, for whatever reason, this is our story. And, and now this is, I know more about it. And it also goes back to me leaning into that intuition, right. And not, even though I felt the fear, it didn't, the fear didn't override my inner knowing mm-hmm. that my baby was fine. And I'm really very, very thankful um, that I didn't leave my home, that I didn't go to the hospital um, and that there was no moment that we were ever separated. Mm, Beautiful. Amanda, thank you so much um, for allowing me to record you today and for, uh, uh, for holding space for you and for sharing your stories. It's been truly such a privilege and an honor to have you here. Um, um, Truly. Yeah. And is there um, any last parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with today? I think ultimately what I know to be true is that how I birth, how we birth really truly does matter. And even though um, my second postpartum experience was not what I wanted it to be, because I birth on my own terms, feeling like I was the authority, feeling into my intuition, I was really equipped to deal with the challenges because of the confidence the birth gave me. And so whether one chooses to birth in a, at home, in a hospital, in the middle of the woods, supported, unsupported, assisted, unassisted, free birth, home birth, whatever birth, I think as long as it is a conscious choice, that it's the woman's own choice, that it's it's a reflection of her wisdom and her knowledge and her understanding and her deep knowing. Wow. That's, that's the real magic. And I think that's what allows us to show up for motherhood in our full power and knowing always, always, always that we know our children best, that we are the experts that yes, it's fine to get an opinion or have someone give us their perspective or suggestion, but ultimately and always the answers are within us. Mm. Yes. I Yes. Couldn't agree more. Thank you so much. And I'm sending you a lot of love um, as uh, you know, you do, um, you know, when you do call in your third child and yeah, and blessings on that journey as well. Thank, Thank, you. You, Thank you so you. much. I really appreciate this. Yes, I did did too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you so much for listening. Storytelling is a profound agent of change, one that has the ability to plant seeds of inspiration, introspection, and beyond. If you have an empowering birth story that you would like to share on our podcast, please head over to IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior to send your submissions. That's IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior. Hope you have a beautiful week wherever you are in the world. Until next time, friends.